bird. I know what it is. It's a dicky bird. That's what it is. Ah, oh, there it is. Oh, he's a pretty bird, Tommy. It's a messenger bird, and it's a message for you. So you didn't believe me? Oh, the old introduction from the bird gag. One yeah. of the oldest. <laughs> What'd you say? It says, ladies and gentlemen, Miss Judy Collins. Hey, that's a good idea. Welcome to D Next innovation and entrepreneurs podcast and i'm your host paul coides on this very special episode we speak to the one and only judy collins whose fusion of politics poetry and the spirit of protest not only inspired a generation of new singer songwriters in the folk music revival movement but also in her own way helped to change the world Okay, Judy, once again, thanks so much for being a, a part of this project. I'm, I'm trying to retell a story to a new generation of people of just how special the late 60s were. And uh, you were a big part of that. So it's great to have your insight. Um, I want to... I want to start by asking you, uh, in your opinion, what is so important about the folk music revival of the late 60s that you think people should know about? It's the stories and the individual effects that people who were in that, in that, in that community had on the whole force of politics and social life and entertainment, music, writing. Uh, it was a whole era where the voices of individuals could tell stories. I think telling stories, I think storytelling is actually the basis of our civilization. It started in the caves and uh, we've always seen evidence of, of communities and, and older civilizations telling their stories. And we were able to tell our stories and they were very powerful. And among the writers that I have discovered from Canada, uh, there was a huge force coming into that stream of poetry and story and storytelling. And of course, musical composition that was uh, uh, unforgettable. And it's still there, it's on the internet. And a lot of young people go to the, uh, the iTunes and the other resources so that they can really hear what the stories were. So I think you may have answered my next question and I'm glad to hear your point of view on storytelling because for better or worse, that's what I've done for the last 15 or 20 years of my life. And so it's nice to know that uh, it has some resonance, but in your mind at its core, is that what folk music is? Is it really um, storytelling in its essence or how would you define what folk music is? Absolutely. You know, the first time that I heard my father saying things like the Carrie Dancers and uh, and um, Danny Boy <clears throat> in and among the Rogers and Hart. But when I was 15 and a half, I heard on the radio the Gypsy Rover. And of course, it was from a movie called The, the, uh, the Black Knight. It was an Alan Ladd movie. 
and uh, it was a big hit. It was it hit the hit the waves um, in 1954 when the movie came out, and it was so popular that I was able to listen to it on the radio and then go down to the record store in Denver and buy a copy of the record. And the Gypsy Rover is the story of a a, a girl who runs off with a Gypsy Rover and discovers that he's actually I as I say in my in my shows he's married to a a, a very very wealthy man and uh, but the story of her leaving her house and her baby and her lover I guess and running off with the gypsy is very endearing and of course it is the story of Robin Hood stealing from the rich to pay, give money to the poor but there's so many intensely interesting songs and stories. I'm thinking of Gordon Lightfoot. I'm thinking of the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, which I will get around to one day before I'm gone from the planet. It's one of the great stories. And of course, all of these wonderful things that um, Dylan, for instance, turned into other kinds of songs. He took uh, Lady Franklin's lament about the death of her husband, Lord Franklin, now they've they've uh, found both of his ships. I think the Terror and the Erebus have been discovered. And now recently, um, a discovery is made of the endurance of Shackleton's um, ship, which went down uh, in the ice. Um, so some of the stories are love stories. Some of them are political. Some of them are intensely historic, like the Edmund Fitzgerald. There are there are stories like. Pretty Polly, which tells of the sexual abuse and even murder on the part of men of women. So I don't care what subject you go into, there are people who were writing and talking about life experiences within what we now call folk songs. So you touched upon the the, the political nature of some of this, which I guess you know in many ways uh, is at the heart of a lot of stories and vice versa. Do you think that it was? the politics of the late 60s that gave rise to the reinterest in folk music or was it the folk music that gave a vehicle or license for people to re-engage in politics in a new way? I think the answer to the question is manifold. One of the things that happened in the late uh, in the late teens in 2016, 17, 18, the revival had been going on for a long time. Uh, you remember that Pete Seeger and Woody Guthrie started singing and writing songs to raise money for the unions. And of course, that's about as political as you can get. We had at one point in this country, in our country, I don't know what the statistics are in Canada, but in the mid 80s, 70s, 60s, we had about 67% of our workforce was, was uh, organized labor in the unions. Now it's down to 5%, which is very telling because it means that the middle class has lost power and money and the resource. And so one of the things that happened in the late teens, 2015, uh, 1920, 1950s, the Weavers had a big hit with a song called Goodnight Irene in 1950. And then of course, um, other songs came from the Weavers, although Actually, Pete Seeger <laughs> was fed up and quit because Dove Soap decided they wanted to hire the Weavers as their their spokespeople, which he didn't think very much of. But this had already been going on for a while, and slowly but surely, the 
the populace, and I'm talking about people in colleges and people who were involved with with the with the movement, quotes unquote, um, for for um, uh, for the the regaining the the vote that was given to to blacks in at the turn of the century well by by grant had been practically remote removed by the society in the south and there were a lot of people who were working in the movement to restore racial equality a lot of that was happening a lot of the college and i was married to a college professor so i hung out with the college crowd and and all of us became aware of the fact that when the press was telling us the right stories, we were beginning to realize how many times we had been lied to by our presidents and that we were living in a country where, in a time where deceit was, uh, you know, we think of now of uh, false news, deceit was going on at, at a very high levels. We were being lied to about everything, about politics, about the atomic bomb, about, about the racial situation. So I think what happened in a way was that the, the younger generation broke through that barrier with folk music and they broke through it for a lot of reasons. First of all, it became clear that you could go out on the stage with a guitar and tell a story and be a singer, songwriter, instead of ha having to hire an orchestra for you know, $100,000 and get yourself uh, on one of the big television shows. So, the actual act of singing and telling stories, like the old uh, broadsiders who sang and told stories and, and spread the news um, by word of mouth. I think it began to take over the minds and the preoccupations of many kinds of artists and writers and singers. So there was a, a, a cluster of, of artists out of Toronto uh, in Yorkville, you talked about Gordon Lightfoot, but that also included Joni Mitchell, a uh, certain extent Leonard Cohen, uh, you know, then Steppenwolf. Can you talk to me about some of those artists and in, in the frame that you were just discussing about uh, just who they were as artists and what you know and maybe how they affected uh, the culture and society uh, from a political standpoint as well as artistic maybe? Well, here we were getting into the grassroots and the basic stories of people's lives, love stories, political stories, stories of disasters, stories of successes. I met Ian and Sylvia in New York, and then of course found them again and followed, followed them after I started recording. Uh, the first song of theirs I recorded was, um, was not um, Someday Soon. It was the, uh, the, uh, uh, the the season story I can't even remember what it is, but but I love their music and I heard them here. They used to have an apartment in the village. They, uh, Ian might still have it. I'm not quite sure. And then I discovered uh, Gordon Lightfoot, and he just swept me away. He, I recorded uh, Early Morning Rain quite early. I think it was on my fourth or fifth album that I found him. And of course, I. One of my first Canadians was Zed McCurdy, who wrote this great song. Last night I had the strangest dream. Absolutely right on anti-war song written by a guy that it was on Electra. A lot of these, these artists were on Electra um, at one time or another. And Ed McCurdy, they called him Dirty Ed McCurdy because he sang all these ballads that had, had twisted and um, 
sort of erotic uh, references to them. But he wrote this great song uh, about against war. And I recorded that right away. And then, of course, Ian and Sylvia came into my life and Gordon Lightfoot. And then in 66, um, Leonard Cohen came to my door as sent to me by my friend Mary Martin, who was a Can is a Canadian and had gone to school with him and went to McGill and uh, knew him, grew up in the same neighborhood he did. So when, when Leonard came to my life, he arrived before Joni did, and he played me the, the songs that he was writing. I was the first pe person to hear them, and he didn't think he had written songs. He wasn't sure about any of it. And then I recorded uh, Suzanne, and then, you know, his talent was revealed, and he became, of course, what he has always been known for, a genius. And then, of course, I found Joni, not because I knew her, but because one night in the middle of the night, Al Cooper called me and said, I want to put this singer on the phone. It was three in the morning. And she sang me both sides now. So I came into the lives of these writers in different ways at different times. But Joni and Leonard and, uh, you know, then I did, I, I missed a few. And I must say that Stan Rogers, was one of them that I missed. And I don't know how it happened because uh, when I finally did find out about him, I was called to sing at the Stan Rogers Festival in the, on, the, on the East Coast in, the, in that island up there. And I thought, well, Stan Rogers has his own festival. He must be somebody. I didn't realize that he was not with us anymore. But then I heard the Northwest Passage being sung on the lawn in the rain by these hundreds of people who'd come to the show and I I was completely dazzled I recorded that song finally in night in uh, 2019 with uh, the Chatham County line a group from Raleigh North Carolina and actually that record winter stories it was called got me my first number one billboard <laughs> listing I think that that's one of the great songs. The, the uh, Northwest Passage is one of the greatest songs written by this incredible community of songwriters. Stan, I think he died in the 80s um, in some terrible way, sadly, sadly. Uh, but I, did, I was able to perform Northwest Passage with Garnet Rogers, his brother. And so I have made, um, I hope, uh, some impression on, on Garnet and on the, on the Canadians at large, because I, I play as much as I can. I play, when I get singers on board, I do sing the, the Northwest Passage. But the entire population of young people who are going to hear these songs, they're getting an education about about politics, about life, about literature, about how to survive on the planet. Well, I I think you have made quite an impression. I, I just have to tell you that uh, one of the other producers I work with, who just recently made a film with, you know, Martin Scorsese and Ron Howard and you know Robbie Robertson, uh, you know, I told him that I was talking uh, to you uh, today, and he was quite jealous. And I think starstruck. Uh, so, so there you have it. Uh, I think uh, he was more interested in you than uh, than most other people. But do you, do you do you think that some of the mythology then that is built up around that time 
Is it true? I mean, was it really a magical time or are we just kind of oh, looking yeah. back? I mean, talk to me about that. Oh, no, it was a magical time. There were a lot of influences that, that made that happen. First of all, there were the singers and the songwriters themselves. And I didn't write songs until I was, uh, until I met Leonard and he asked me why I wasn't. So this flood of, of singer songwriters who were telling stories and revealing secrets and focusing on the different uh, aspects of life and singing in a way that was accessible and making records. They were getting onto Folkways records, onto Electra records, even into Columbia and Decca and uh, other labels. And so they were beginning to have this way to get out to the public. But it was also the, the clubs. The clubs were, were multiple, many, many in the States. And I've also I've worked at clubs in Canada as well. And there was a wonderful devoted group of people who were supporters who would hire us to come and sing. So there was a, a whole population being educated. Then there were the songs themselves, brilliant writers, um, you know, people like Ian and Sylvia, Leonard Cohen, Joni Mitchell, phenomenal writing. And that combined with the fact that people were beginning to write in the newspapers. Bob Shelton was probably the first, I don't know about Canada, but I'm sure you had writers who were taking the time to write brilliantly about these singer-songwriters and what they were doing for the planet and for the community. Yeah, one of the folks that we interviewed for this piece is uh, Ben Fong Torres from Rolling Stone magazine. And he talked about how at that time, uh, music was being taken as a not only a serious, well, rock music, let's say, or popular music, not only as a serious art form, but as a serious political social voice and uh you know it was given some heft and i guess it all just kind of happened around that same time and and i think um uh you know to your point uh it probably was a magical confluence of things that was had well, to happen do you do you think looking around today maybe you get asked this question a lot could it happen again it all depends on what kinds of internet and material is coming through to younger people. I think it always has existed among my generation and it will remain no matter what anybody does or says, as long as some of us are out there singing, which I still am and will be, as long as I can stand up um, even then. Um, so I think within our generation and the two, I think the 60s, the 60s and the 70s generation mostly will remember and will be inspired by it because they'll go to our concerts. I mean, every time I think somebody was mentioning the fact that uh, one of the big groups had had a hit on TikTok and suddenly become, you know, the flavor of the day. These kids can go of, of all ages can go to the internet and hear anything and everything. And they do make their own choices. They don't have to depend on everything that is pop and and uh, hip hop and, and uh, going fast with a repeated phrase that goes 400 times with no content. So they have an opportunity to go and dig up these songs and find out what Pete Seeger sounded like, what Woody Guthrie's songs sounded like, what We Are The World sounded like, what, what Joni Mitchell's early and, and CSNN and all of those groups and myself. Rolling Stone has not paid me very much attention in uh, 60 years, but I'll get over it. Uh, other than that, I have to say that uh, most of the, of the um, 
the news outlets have incorporated us into their general understanding of what really happened and how rich that material is. Okay, last question, because I know I'm actually over time with you and I'm grateful for how uh, how gracious you've been. Um, what, looking back and looking forward, what is the one thing that you hope the world will get from listening to your music? In the war in Ukraine. Let's look at that for today. Yeah, actually, I agree with you there. I, uh, that's a whole other topic. <laughs> that, uh, well, think- not so much, not so much at all, because I do think that in Europe and in the Ukraine, there are many vestiges of exactly what is involved in the movement we're talking about and it is going on around the world it hasn't stopped and you can see from the marching and from the protesting that our point of view is out there how well it goes over how how often it's uh, uh, accepted and acted on we have to judge but it's out there and it is part of what's going on now against this war in ukraine Okay, uh, a beautiful note to end this on, Judy uh, Collins. Thank you so much. I, uh, I'm thrilled myself. I'm uh, looking forward to bragging to all my friends that I got to chat with you today. And it was a very uh, thoughtful and intelligent and very sensitive conversation. So thank you very much. Thank you. I was privileged to be part of your show. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Judy. Bye-bye. Thanks. to the point